Welcome to Detoxicity. This is a podcast in which I try to change the narrative around masculinity a little bit and allow some progressive voices and some interesting voices, diverse voices, to come into the picture. My name is Mike Joseph. I host and produce this show, and I thank you very, very much for listening and for supporting from the bottom of my heart. It means a lot. Now, if you enjoy this podcast, I hope that you are subscribing to it. If you aren't, please press the subscribe button on wherever it is you're listening to it, and uh, that way you'll get episodes on demand when they come, uh, which is usually on Wednesday mornings. I also certainly ask that you uh, spread the word. Uh, Please rate the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen. Um, Make sure you leave a comment if you have something nice to say or if you have something constructive to say. It doesn't all have to be nice. And by all means, tell your friends, tell anyone who you think might get some creative juice or inspirational juice or just would uh, you'd like to listen to this please spread the word uh, however you can i am on social media if you would like to follow me i am on instagram at detox pod guy uh, my twitter is on hiatus for a little bit it will come back but it is tis mike joseph feel free to follow me on either of those platforms there is also facebook.com slash detoxicity and if you have a comment you can email me detoxpod at gmail.com I am always on the lookout for new guests, so if you know somebody who you think has an interesting story to tell or something to add to the overall conversation around detoxifying masculinity, please reach out to me via any of those platforms, and certainly if you yourself would like to be a part of this podcast, please reach out, let me know. Once again, I thank you for listening. Hey folks, I want to let you know about something super special happening on May 21st in New York City. Soundmind Fest uh, from the good folks at Soundmind Live is happening. This is May 21st in Central Park. Uh, it's a collection of artists and over 20 mental health organizations, including Black Mental Health Association, Vibrant for All, Jed Foundation. Proceeds from this concert support NAMI. And uh, there's a huge lineup here Cold War Kids, Big Boy from Outcast, American Authors, Rabel, Allison Russell, Kamau. Uh, it's being hosted by Gina Brillen. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic show. The weather is going to be great. It's going to be springtime. You are going to love it. Tickets for this show go on sale Friday, March 12th. So if you want to pick up tickets, go to your local ticket emporium and uh, log on and make sure you pick up tickets for the 2022 Sound Mind Music Festival for Mental Health. I will see you there. My guest on this episode is Shane Cohen, who goes by the name Shoof. I was introduced to Shoof by Sankofa, who was on a previous episode, you might remember him, and he's a hell of an interesting person. Uh, Shoof is a name that marries two of his passions, cooking, chef, and sneakers. Shoof, hence Shoof. He'll explain more during the episode. Hopefully you'll enjoy hearing how he came to be passionate about both of these things. Uh, you'll also hear about how Shoof survived living on the streets of LA for a couple of days, how he is going to appreciate the sacrifices his mom made as a single parent, and he offers his perspective on what it's like to live on the autism spectrum. This was a really great conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. I hope you enjoyed it as well. This is Shoof. Well, my name is Shoof Cohen. I was in food service for 15 plus years, did anything and everything you could think of high-end dining, stupid pizza places, BK. I worked literally everywhere. And uh, I'm huge into metal music. I love making things. I love painting. And I'm big into 3D printing. Okay. And that's pretty much been most of my life is just food. So wow. it's it, 
it's hard for me to talk about things outside of how long I spent in food service. It's just like <laughs> drilled into my brain. I've, I've served so many people and that's all I can ever think about. <laughs> how did food service come into your, did you want to be like a cook when you were growing up? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that because it's a hilarious story. <laughs> okay. I like hilarious stuff. <laughs> that's what we're here for. So I'm 31 going on 32 now. Right. I was probably 16 years old and I am broke as hell. <laughs> and I, I, I was up at a water park with my friends during the summer and I had been applying for jobs here and there before we had left for the trip. And I applied to a few restaurants. Before that, I had only worked at a, a grocery store and a Little Caesars pizza. Gotcha. So uh, I, I applied to some, I guess you could call them real restaurants, if you want to be that way. Not um, some, fast some, food. Correct. Some actual from scratch kitchens. That's probably gotcha. a better way to put it. All right. So I applied to this place called Papagayo here in Syracuse. And I get a call when I'm at the water park. Hey, this is Bobby from Papagayo. I'd like to have you in for an interview, blah, 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 blah. And I'd never worked in a from scratch kitchen before. I go into my interview goes great we're just shooting the shit he doesn't ask me any interview questions we're literally just talking about people and discussing life and and all of that kind of shit so i really liked how it went he calls me back a couple days later and says hey man i'd like to bring you on as a dishwasher i said okay, okay. i right. mean i i need the money i don't really care what i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I i go in and i'm working for a few weeks i'm doing a good job i'm just keeping my head down i've got my headphones in playing music and and washing all the damn dishes and uh chef comes back one day he says hey it's like yeah he goes go chop those tomatoes I said no i'm the disher i don't want to be a cook i'm not interested in that i just want to sit back here with my headphones on and spray the old food off the dishes <laughs> that's all that's all that's really all i want man i don't want more than that and he goes well if you want your job you're gonna go chop those tomatoes so I was like, well, shit, I, I want my job. That's a weird flex. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, he's my dude. We still talk to this day. We're very, very good friends. So I'm very happy for him and grateful for him for that push. But, you know, I'm looking at him like, what is your problem? Like, do you think you can talk to me that way? Well, I guess you can because here yeah, I am he, chopping the tomatoes. Yeah, chopping tomatoes. Yep. Well, and then a few days later, he sees, well, you're like doing a pretty good job at this. You're coming up quick. You're understanding the knife skills. Blah, 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 blah. He goes, I'm making you a cook. Too bad. <laughs> and I'm just looking at him like, Bobby. No. He goes, too bad. And just walks off. So there was never even like a, I mean, I, I've never worked in food service, but there's not even a test or an audition to see how good a cook you are. Or like, Well, that will change from restaurant to restaurant. Now, I have indeed taken, I guess you could call them cooking tests i had to show up for my quote-unquote interview which was actually a one hour three-course meal okay that's what the dude said to me it's at this place called waterworks down in philadelphia i lived in philadelphia for a while and yeah i get to the interview and i'm in my chef clothes and all that stuff i'm looking spiffy got all the clean nonsense on he goes all right man three courses one hour here's where all of the food is go you're wasting time <laughs> this is a re this is a top chef for Whatever, one of those Gordon Ramsay things. Yeah, it felt just like that. And I'm panicking. I thought I was just coming in to cook a steak or two, and you can see if I know anything. Right. You know, he really wanted to know if I knew anything. He wanted to know all of it. 
And uh, I didn't end up taking that job. But yeah, it, it is crazy. There are quite a few restaurants that will do things along those lines. Here's your litmus test. Are you a good cook? And how does that then turn into 15 years of making food for people? Yeah. So <laughs> I always ask myself that too. How did it get <laughs> what to happened? 15 years? It turned into 15 years because as I continued to do well in the field physically, I'm quick. I understand the dishes. I, I don't need much coaching. You kind of just tell me to do something and it gets done. So that just kept being prevalent. My work ethic is what screwed me over because I got a good one. I work yeah. well. Yeah. I work quickly. I work fast. I work concisely and cleanly. So in a kitchen, people really, really want that. Yes, they do. So they kept saying, we really want to keep you. And being good at it made me want to keep doing it. Realistically, let's talk about a little bit about ego. It felt good for people to be like, hey, man, you're really good at this. And I was like, oh, man, thank you, because I feel like a trash bag. <laughs> <laughs> why? I mean, why do you feel like a trash bag? I'm assuming this is past tense. Yeah, I think hey. I'm feeling a lot better now, man. <laughs> good. And maybe part of feeling like a trash bag was overworking myself and glorifying the grind culture. Mm. I was 90 hours a week, every single week for 72 weeks that's insane no days off that's insane oh yeah and now i'm looking back on that i'm like dude what what is wrong with you yeah you did that on purpose i think there's a a good discussion to be had about service industries and Mm -hmm. how in service industries and retail like people our new york city's mayor recently called some of these people unskilled workers but (laughs) <laughs> I saw that. How how these are people who work 50, 60, 70 hours a week and bust their ass. I worked retail for 10 years and I've had a corporate job now for about almost 20 years. And I work hard. You know, my corporate job is difficult, but I have never been as exhausted at the end of the day, mentally and physically, as when I've been on my feet serving customers, ripping up boxes. Running back and forth from floor to floor to floor. It's like people don't understand or don't care to understand how difficult this work is and generally not for a lot of money either. No, no. I learned a very interesting thing the other day that the things that are most metabolically draining on your brain are movement and learning something new. Mm. So if you put that into context of a kitchen or, or a retail job, you are constantly moving. You really don't get many opportunities to stop or sit down or breathe. And you're constantly having to learn and adapt to new customers as well as new floor layouts or new menus or whatever it is. So when you really break this stuff down, it's the two most taxing things on your brain that you're going to be tired after doing that. And that's one thing I needed to understand. Was there a breaking point? Was there a point when you were like, okay, I have worked way too many hours, way too many days in a row did, were you consciously aware of that or did you hit a point where your brain was just like, dude, fuck this? So it was a little of both. It was <laughs> a slow burn of, hey, man, maybe you should slow down. And the other half of me is like, no, crush it, work, right. burn out, do, do everything you possibly can. And then COVID, January 2020. Which now we're looking at that. Holy hell, that was two years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was working in Des Moines, Iowa at a place called Fong's Pizza. It is probably Des Moines' most popular destination restaurant. 
And uh, it's an Asian fusion pizzeria, which is super cool. Different? It, yeah, it's super interesting. Honestly, I was very concerned case about it when I first heard about it. I was like, that sounds terrible and potentially <laughs> racist. But no, it, it ended up being pretty good. They do like a crab rangoon pizza and they're super famous for it. It's been on Food Network and all that nonsense. Wow. Um, but enough about the restaurant itself. The pandemic hits. We start getting news. I had just gotten back from Vegas the end of that January and I'm going back to work and people are talking about this virus. I'm like, what the hell? What? What's a COVID? Right. That was late January, early February of 2020. And then the news kept you know reporting it in such a terrible way and it seemed horrible. So I was like... I am quite literally as close to these people as I could be mm-hmm. every single day at all times. I have to leave. I, I can't consciously do this and know that I'm potentially infecting myself or other people or the people at home or grandma down the street. Obviously, my brain starts going crazy with all of these ideas of what could possibly happen. And advantageously for me, I was managing that place at the time, and and I don't feel bad telling people that my management style is a little tough. I come from kitchens. I come from scratch, burn up kitchens, and it's rough. Mm -hmm. So I grew up rough. You know, you grow up in a rough place, you're going to be a little rough. A little rough, yeah. And uh, Iowa doesn't care for rough. Really? They don't care for New York boy coming in and saying, well, here's how you got to do your job. I'm not trying to be rude, but you guys aren't great servers and you have a lot of work to do. I'm saying that from a point of of constructive criticism, you know. Unfortunately for you, I am your boss now. Right. And that's how it's going to have to be. And this is how this restaurant's going to run now. So the owner pulls me aside one day and says, hey, man, you have to stop managing the employees. And my eyes, huge. My eyes go as big as they possibly can. My jaw hits my knees, I swear. Did you just ask me not to manage the employees? Gwen, what is my job title? She said, manager. I said, then what's the issue with what you just said? She said, well, some of the employees don't like the way you manage. I said, that's too bad. They don't have to work here. This is at-will employment. Right. This is a restaurant, bro. We ain't got no contracts. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, look, if you're going to treat me that way, I'm not going to work for you anymore. And she says, sounds like you're quitting. I said, no. If you're going to treat me like that, I'm out. Right. She says, bye. Huh. I was like, okay. Oh, all right. And the other partial owner was standing right there. I look at Gwen and I I say to her, hey, uh, Gwen, good luck. You're going to need it. I won't. (laughs) And then I I shook Dennis's hand and left. (laughs) But yeah, that coinciding with the pandemic and the worry of that is uh, when my brain told me, finally, you're done. Right. Go do your own stuff. You're not going to work for anyone else ever again. So now I own my own business. Entrepreneurship is uh, a a good thing if you can swing it. I think most people ideally would want to work for themselves. I certainly would if I had the option to. Because that way there's nobody to blame when anything messes up other than you. Mm-hmm. You rightfully get the glory and you rightfully get the blame as well. And I'm assuming that the entrepreneurship has been good for you because you haven't it, yeah. gone back to working with the muggles yet. <laughs> yeah, you got a really good point there, man. Okay, so <laughs> I started my personal brand, shoe. It was born from my love of sneakers and my love of food. 
So you put shoe and chef together and you mash them together and you get shoof. Nice. I always love uh, watching people struggle to pronounce it. Is it shoof? Is it shoof? And and that's part of the reason I chose it too, because boy, do I love screwing with people. So it's clothing and it's paintings and it's 3D printing and just completely random nonsense. And it's been pretty okay. I haven't been you know, going gangbusters or anything. I didn't explode. My sales aren't through the roof or anything like that, but I'm certainly having fun. And I am uh, fortunate enough to have a partner who has been willing to support me when the art's not quite making it. Right. And I, I got to give a shout out to your partner first, before we go any further. <laughs> so I have potential guests fill out a questionnaire and I want to thank a former guest of mine, Josh, for suggesting this. There are just a random couple of things that I ask, pronouns and potential topics to avoid and passion points for you. And your partner basically wrote up a recommendation. <laughs> like you were applying for a job and you were like, I need references. And your partner was like, I'll give you a reference. So you yeah, got- She was just like that too. Yeah. By the time this airs, I might be over a hundred episodes. This might be the first right. time in a hundred episodes that I've ever gotten a reference. And I will paraphrase here. She talks a little bit about your childhood, which you know we can get into. But she also says he is confident in his masculinity, willing to bend and challenge gender norms, and entirely rejects the behavior of the men who set toxic examples of masculinity for him growing up. He is the most unique and interesting human I've ever encountered. I highly recommend him for your podcast. So <laughs> after reading that, there's no way I could be like, nah, this isn't a good fit, right? If someone's partner is willing to uh, put their ass on the line like that, I got to talk to this dude. So yes, a big shout out to your partner. I didn't ask for that either. That was 100% her idea. She's like, hold on, let me add some stuff. Wow. I was like, nope, you do your thing, baby. <laughs> how, how did it feel to read that? I was honestly a little surprised because I'm on the autism spectrum. Sure. Okay. And I don't have a good time grasping why people want to do things like that. Why people want to go out of their way just to essentially gas up another person. That's a very confusing concept for me. And, and I really do try my best to do it. Like, I guess I like doing that too. If my friends have businesses or whatever they're doing, I, I love to post up their stuff and share it. And I guess it's along the same lines, but that's really where it was. I was just very surprised that there was that much nice to be said about. From a self-confidence standpoint, are you nice to yourself? Do you compliment yourself? Because I'm the type of person, when someone says something nice about me, I, it is a little bit embarrassing. As I get older, I try to own that shit a little bit more, but uh, it still is embarrassing. Because uh, like I have to live with me, and maybe the person making the, the compliment does not, and I yeah. see things that, and think things that they don't. So I'm curious what that feels like for you. I'm pretty hard on myself. Okay, let me rephrase that. I don't usually end up thinking that the things that I make or the things that I do were were worth the time or quality or like say I make a painting and it, it's finished, it's dry, it's ready for sale. I, I don't like it though. Mm. No matter how it came out, I don't like it in the moment. So if I'm trying to go right from making something to selling it, it doesn't work that way. I need time. So I guess to answer your question, I don't compliment myself immediately when things have finished. I, I need time for my brain to catch up on what actually did happen and analyze the outcome and see if I really do feel good about that or not. I, I have a note on my whiteboard right now that says, please revisit all of the canvases you've made because they're probably not all second quality. 
And I think everything I make is second quality. But when I went back two days ago to look at all those old canvases, five or six of them came out of the seconds pile. So, I, you know, I guess the most direct answer to your question is I don't compliment myself immediately until I've had time to process. That makes sense. I guess the question is, is there a way to get over that? Is it necessary even to get over that? I guess there's a, a place in between second guessing everything you do and blowing smoke up your own ass that we should all mm -hmm. live in. <laughs> Not quite sure where that place is. Could you rephrase the question again? I totally blanked. It's kind of like, you don't want to be Kanye, but <laughs> you also don't want to be Charlie Brown either. Right, right. Where's the right place for that? That's a very esoteric, probably unanswerable question. But uh, Well, do I need to ch change that fact about me? I don't necessarily think it needs to be changed so much as understood and harnessed. Got it. So if I understand the fact that when a canvas or a project is finished, that I'm not even going to give a flying fuck about it for a week, maybe I just know that. Now, all projects get pushed up one week so that they're done on time when they're supposed to be done, and I like them. Mm. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I'm gathering from speaking to you is that you've traveled you've lived in a bunch of different places i i have done that i was born in georgia in 1990 a few miles outside of atlanta okay in a place called roswell my mom and dad split when i was super young two years old my mother and i moved up to central new york in the syracuse area to live with my grandmother because it was the only feasible and affordable option for a single mother in the early 90s with an infant well i guess a toddler at that point i was two years old mm-hmm and we lived in the suburb of Syracuse for 15 years. All right. Okay. I've actually never been to Syracuse, believe it You're or not. You're not missing much. <laughs> I mean, we got that big-ass mall, but there's, there's nothing good in it anymore. I know Vanessa Williams is from Syracuse, and yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of about it. Biden went to SU, if anyone cares about that. Oh, did he? Oh, see, I didn't yeah. even know that. So, yeah, we, we spent tons of time in Syracuse, and I, I left the house when I was seven question mark to 17 or 18 young enough essentially as quickly as i could was you know, there... as quickly as my financial situation allowed me to i'm assuming there was a reason for that yes and no it was mostly teenage angst <laughs> it was mostly just fuck you mom and i'm looking back on that and kind of like well maybe you didn't need to be that way but it was mostly just teenage angst and i think societal pressure to not live with my mother anymore when realistically, I felt no need to leave my mom's house. And I would still live there now, mostly because I love my mom. And right. Like, you want to spend more time with your mom. People leave home at 17, 18, but then they go to college. So they're in a place for four years and they are going back home to do whatever. I feel like people like you and me who leave home at 17 or 18 and are like out in the world. Uh, yeah, that was my shit. Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> yeah it, it was dude if nothing else it was certainly interesting i i would <laughs> you know, imagine like I, you have stories of what they don't they don't teach you much in school like how do you write a check right how do you get a money order what are taxes how do you cook all of these things that you need to live as a normal ass human being in society are not taught in schools 
but we do teach you how to do a bunch of unnecessary math. When was the last time you had to do a fraction? What's a fraction? <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. Like, quadratic my ass. No, I haven't had to use any of that. I've used my basic math. I think I think that I, I did long division one time in the last 20 years. It's probably like, one more time than I've done. Right. Who needs to do that? Well, and, and that's technology, too. People like you and I kind of grew up in the age of nostalgia where technology was just up, upgrading and changing and, and developing so quickly that it was impossible for us to get a, a standard grip. Like, you got to think about cell phones. We didn't have a standard like smartphones now. Right. We had maybe a brick phone. Like, absolutely, maybe you had a Nokia if you were, like, the coolest kid in school. <laughs> you know, and, and your mom had 800 bucks to buy you a <laughs> mobile phone. And I'm older than you, so I'm the generation where none of us had phones. I didn't own a right. cell phone until I was probably, like, 23, 24. And even if you were in high school and you had a beeper or something, it was uh, mm-hmm. uh, pretty, uh, pretty strange. So, uh, yeah, from a technological standpoint, yeah, I guess 20 or 25 or 30 years ago, long division would have come in a little bit more handy then than it does yeah. now. Oh, yeah. And even like some of the factual stuff that you can Google so easily now, but is not top of mind. These wasn't top of mind back then. But one thing that has come up on this podcast several times is the fact that nobody teaches life skills. No. Like the basic, how do you wash your ass kind of shit? What do you do with your dirty yeah. laundry? You know? Yeah. Are you supposed to get a container? Do you just throw it on the floor? Right. What's detergent? What's high efficiency? None of this is taught. And and we expect these kids to be able to leave a high school environment where everything is taken care of for them, including their meals, to being completely the fuck on their own. But you have to budget your own stuff now, and you maybe have to get a job on top of this to do that with these things, and you weren't taught how to do X or Y or Z, but they expect you to know the alphabet. It's silly. I've always felt this. My girl and I talk about that all the time. Why why are public schools curriculum to the way that they are? And I don't think curriculum's a verb, but I made it one. Yeah, hey, that's cool. I mean, we were introduced through an, an educator, so if Stephen yeah, listens to this, Kofa. yeah. If Stephen listens to this, he'll correct our uh, our improper English. <laughs> he will, too. I know he'll text me right away as soon as he listens. So he'll be like, man, you should have said this. <laughs> Thanks, Kofa. I appreciate you, bud. So, yeah, I got to imagine being 18, 19, 20 out on your own, trying to keep the bills paid and all that shit had to have been kind of difficult. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I did some sketchy shit. You got to pay the you bills. Know, we, you got to pay the bills. So I, I did some things. I didn't hurt nobody. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. I never hurt nobody. But you had to do what you had to do to put food on the table. And especially a couple years later when I had a girl living with me too, and I had to take care of the both of us. And I was just like, well, I don't know how I'm supposed to handle this alone. And then I started looking at how my mom came up raising me. And I was like, oh my God, this is what she had to do. But she had my shit ass to deal with too. (laughs) Right. It gives you a new appreciation, right? Oh, it seriously does. (laughs) That's part of the reason why when it came up earlier, talking about how I treated my mom or why I decided to leave the house. Maybe I really didn't need to be that way. (laughs) Maybe I could have known that she did way more for me than I could ever fathom. The angst is real, though. I think when you're 17 and trying to figure yourself out, it's like 
ah, well, this is holding me back and this is holding me back and I'm, I, I don't know exactly who I am yet. And I think a lot of people, particularly dudes, you hit that 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, you're just angry at everything. And hopefully you get a little bit of distance in time and you realize that a lot of the shit that you were angry about wasn't the fault of the person or people that you were angry at. Right. <laughs> it was merely from what you created for yourself. I have a huge problem with that. I will overthink and I don't want to call it just overthinking. It's overthinking to a point of quite literally fabricating alternate futures that never happened, but I feel like they did. From trying to make assumptions about how things did go or how things might go and then and then I truly believe that I'm creating small false memories for myself on accident because I'm overanalyzing the situation. I can relate. My therapist mm -hmm. talks to me about that pretty regularly. <laughs> mm -hmm. You need to slow down. Stop thinking right. so much. It ain't like that. You can't just turn it off. Right, exactly. And I, I, I <laughs> objectively, I feel like if you're a mental health professional, you're aware of that. But uh, I guess it's like a tough love thing where it's like, okay, you need to stop doing that. And then you're like, well, how do you stop doing that? I've been doing this all my life. Well, I find another thing too that because somebody has the word professional in their title does not mean they're good at it. Oh, of course. Understand that the word professional only means that that's what they do as a profession. Right. Not that they're good at it. Not that they've been educated about it or not. It means you've been paid for it once. <laughs> there you go. You may have once been paid for that. Yeah. Shit. Yes. I mean, so by that terminology, we, we're professional lots of things. But yeah, it doesn't yeah, necessarily right. mean that we're good at any of them. I'm the professional sticker maker, man. I've been paid for stickers. <laughs> what do you do for a living, man? Oh, I make fucking stickers. Stickers, I'm a... So you brought up a couple of interesting topics when we were doing this pre-show questionnaire. And uh, I do want to uh, talk about mental health. And, and it does sound like you're on an ongoing process to just become like a better person, which I 100% appreciate. That's the purpose of this whole fucking podcast. Just for people to, you know, understand that it's cool to become a better version of yourself. Was there a point when it hit you that was just like, oh man, I need to do better or I need to take care of my brain or I need to. Oh yeah. There was absolutely a spot. So the girl I was seeing before the girl I'm seeing now, we were together for three and a half years. We go on a cross country road trip. It was dope. We went everywhere and we get to our final destination and she says, we're breaking up. Whoa. I was like, oh, fuck what? Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. First of all, we, we are staying at my friend's house. I'm like, so you're staying here with homeboy. And she's like, yeah. And I'm sitting here like, okay, so what about all of our stuff at home? And what about our cats? And what about, you know, a million things start going through my head. Right. And so... She No, she pretty much just like 86 me, kicks me to the curb. I, I slept on the streets of Los Angeles for three or four nights. Because Holy shit, dude. It was terrible. It was a whole fucking thing. <laughs> and so as I'm sleeping on the fucking streets of Los Angeles, you know, where obviously it's not so safe. Mm -mm. It was extremely sketchy. And when I say sleeping, I mean 10 minute naps while I'm making sure I'm not getting mugged or beat up. Right. And. And I don't want to talk shit about Los Angeles like, ah, oh, it's so dangerous. But it, it really, really is. <laughs> I've, I've, I've walked down Skid Row. I know the deal. Yeah, there you go, man. So obviously I'm just like, well, what do I do? I'm, I'm 3,000 miles from my home in central New York. And I have $600 to my name. I'm, I'm hitting up all my friends. I was blowing glass at the time, making pipes and shit. Mm -hmm. 
And so I'm hitting up all my boys that I've sold stuff to and this and that. Hey, man, can I come stay with you for a night? I got completely screwed over, doop-a-doop. And I got very lucky. A couple of my collectors allowed me to stay at their house. And I thought that was super-duper dope. But to fast forward a little bit, I get back to New York. I used my last 400 bucks for a one-way plane ticket home. And I get home, and I'm sitting up in the attic of the house, just sad as hell because I don't know what just happened. And I'm realizing that this is time to be introspective. Mm. This is time to not blame situations that are outside of myself for where I am right now. There is no amount of blaming other people that is going to change the fact that I led me where I was. I am the only one that can lead me anywhere. Ultimately, I make a choice. Even if someone says, you have to do this. Well, ultimately, I make the choice to do it or not, whether or not you tell me it's mandatory. Right. So I used this time to start being introspective, and I really started thinking about myself. And I realized I was kind of a shithead. I realized I was not the nicest person. I realized that I wasn't understanding. I realized that I was being forceful with my own beliefs because I wanted people to feel camaraderie with me. And it doesn't work that way. It works the other way around. You can let people come to your belief if that's how it is, but you don't get to push it. Mm. I, I was pushing and I was trying to get people to be like me so that I could selfishly feel camaraderie. So I realized, yo, that's not cool either. Don't do that to people. Let them be whoever they are. or They align with what you do as a person. That's great. And you allow that to happen. But I, I truly took the time to stop forcing people to be a part of my life. That's really what it was. That was the exact moment when I'm, I was sitting upstairs, you know, in the attic of that old house on Tompkins Street, just being like, yo, homie, you're a shithead. Do better. And ever since then, I've been trying every single day to just be a little bit better. The circumstances are not awesome. Not ideal. But coming to that realization is awesome. Yeah, I told the ex, like, I'm not upset at you anymore. That's if big. You, if you hadn't done that for me, I wouldn't be kicking as much ass as I am right now. I'd still be hunting you down. Right. And I'm glad that I'm not. That's big. Obviously, you're doing a, a lot of self-reflection, and it, it's major to do self-reflection and think about all the times that you messed up. Or you were mm -hmm. wrong about something. Because, uh, look, I'm a stubborn dude. I, I think stubbornness is very much a masculine trait. And yep. it's really hard sometimes, even for those of us who have less than great opinions of ourselves, to admit that we were wrong about a belief or a thought or an opinion of someone. So when you do that self-reflection, you got to confront yourself. And that's not fun. Dude, that is not fun. To everybody <laughs> out there listening, man, confronting your own shit is no fun. But but it's worth it. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, doing it and, and reaching a, a milestone place where you're like, oh, I was doing these three fucked up things before, and now I'm not doing two of them anymore. Yep. Like, getting to that place of progress feels real, real good. Yeah, I forget who the quote's from, but... I, I always like to live by you only look back to see how far you've come. Hey, I like that. I really do think about those words all the time. That you can't be looking back on everything you've done with those kind of eyes. Right. With the kind of eyes of, whoa, what did I do wrong? What was this? And the over analytical 
painful part of thinking about yourself in that way. You know, I think it's just really important to change the way you're looking back. Realize that you're not where you were and you won't be where you are now. Right. We're all works in progress. And that's okay. That's the whole damn point. Yeah. That's the purpose of life. Thank you. I I really like that. The point is you be and you grow and you learn and that's it. That's right. I want to ask because you're the first person that I think I've had on that is openly on the autism spectrum. Okay, cool. Um, Shoot away, man. And I don't want to be exploitive of it at all, but how has that factored into some of your life choices? Factored into the way that you see life and the way that you see people? Sure. Well, this is interesting, too, because I was not diagnosed until 2020. Oh, wow. Until 2020. It was actually my girl who's like, hey, did you ever consider that you might be an autist? I was like, I had not considered that. So we we started doing some research and I started learning and we got a few opinions and that's where we landed that I'd be quote unquote. And I don't like to put it this way as like a high functioning autist. Right. I don't, I don't it, cause that, that immediately differentiates me from other people on that spectrum. And I don't truly believe that I'm differentiated from any other humans either only in my way that I process things. I'm not worse. I'm not better. I'm not part of a different group. We're all motherfucking humans and this is getting old. (laughs) Why do I have to keep saying that to people that we're all humans? I don't give a shit about anything else. We're all human together. Let's be human together. Right. (laughs) Right. But how has being on the spectrum changed my choices? So when I was young, I I was always the weird kid. I would have, uh, I guess you could call them freakouts in school. I would get pushed into a corner when I didn't want to do something. For example, the uh, dissecting the frog. Mm, yeah. You know, you dissect the frog when you're in 10th grade. And for me, it was a pig, I, but. Oh yeah, we did. Well, in, in ninth grade, the teacher did the fetal pig. Okay. And, and then in 10th grade, we got to do the frog by ourselves, which that was all well and good. I, I went to a school that got a lot of funding. <laughs> you know, I, I'm very grateful for, for going to probably one of the better public schools in New York. But so the frog story here. I, I didn't want to do it. I'm like, that's disgusting. It smells weird. This is a dead frog that we preserved only for the point of chopping it open later. Mm-hmm. Why, why'd you do that? First of all, you know, you can, you can eat these. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> like, but anyway, I, I didn't want to do it. So I try at first to politely decline. I'm sorry. It's really gross to me. I don't want to do that. I'm fucking 14 years old and this is gross. <laughs> and that unfortunately was not an option well no this is part of your curriculum go chop up that frog go chop up a frog come on man i don't want to go chop up a frog so i start getting really worried and really anxious and then my voice raises a bit and then all of a sudden i don't even notice it but i'm screaming at the teacher because i don't want to do this and eventually he's like okay you don't gotta do it i would assume it was Almost 100% from a point of, please shut up, child. Like, I have to deal with so many of you guys all day, and I don't want to do this. There's a bunch of dead frogs on the table. I have stuff to do. So I, I, I didn't know when I was young that that meant that there was technically something different about my brain. And that's all being an autist really is for those of you that don't understand really what the spectrum is or how it's, I don't know, applied. 
it's not a black and white thing. Everything is very different and everybody is very different. Some people that might be autists can't speak at all. And some people like me seem to be versed and eloquent and know what they're doing. But trust me, stuff like this isn't the easiest for me either. And I appreciate um, the fact that you're doing this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really important for me to push myself outside of the comfort zone because there's no growth inside it. Mm-hmm. The, the only thing that's inside the comfort zone is fucking comfort. comfort. That's why we call it that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's, and it's, I mean, there's a lot to be said for comfort, man. But what's the point of living if you're not going to push yourself a little bit? There's so much to gain. I agree with you 100% there, man. I think people get so caught up in the comfort zone that they don't think there is anything outside of it. The world is huge. There, There's so many things that I feel like people don't even realize they're capable of. There's so much to see. There's so much to experience. And look, I don't think I'm a huge risk taker. Like I'll never jump out of a plane and I there's shit that I will not do. Um, <laughs> but I do think that just even pushing a little bit at your thought processes and your everyday routines, I think there's a lot of value in that. I think people try to scale it up too much. They try to take self-care and pushing boundaries and scale it up to global size. And that's not really how you need to handle it. For example, let's say, well, this is a true story. That's not an example. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is a true story. These last couple of years, I've had a lot of trouble getting out of the house. Mostly due to not wanting to because I'm COVID. a homebody and that's what oh, I do. Okay. And so it's not a but, COVID thing or? Look, I'm, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Yeah, no, I know it exists. I'm very careful. I do all my precautions. I wear my masks, do all the nonsense with the hand sanitizer and keep myself clean and all that stuff. But it was really hard to want to leave the house with that on top of my own personal bullshit. Okay. So I kept thinking to myself, man, you've got to get out and go somewhere. You need to get to the store and do this, or you need to go to this place and do that. And I realized that I was putting seemingly a small amount of pressure on myself, but when it comes to trying to change a thought pattern, it ends up being a large amount of pressure. Mm -hmm. So I switched the goal from getting all the way out to okay. just make it to the porch. Just go the fuck outside. Smell some real air <laughs> that doesn't have your old skin dust in it and, and enjoy it. Just go outside and fucking breathe. And I bring that up because I feel like almost everybody that wants to make changes wants to make them all at one time. Mm. Or make the biggest want, possible leap. Yes, yes. They want to go from eating nothing but BK directly to nothing but LG smoothies. <laughs> and you can't be jumping like that. We got to be incremental, especially in a world where anything and everything will overwhelm us and send us into a, a social media posting frenzy. <laughs> Yeah. I'm upset about that thing you said. Okay, you're wasting your time. You have internal work to do. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for, I don't know if it's gentle nudging, but it's like being afraid to fly. And yeah. I've never really been afraid to fly. So I'm projecting here. If you have a fear of flying, the thing you want to do is take like a short flight, take like a, a New York to Buffalo flight or a New York to Boston flight. Yeah, um, right. Fly for half an hour. Right. The flight you don't want to take is New York to Australia. Yeah. 17 hours, baby. Let's go. <laughs> I'm ready. Let's do this. Because your brain is going to go through every single doomsday scenario, mm -hmm. and you're just going to freak out. 
But if it's a half hour, like it's over before it starts. Yeah, those flights are hilarious to me, man. You hit maximum altitude for like a minute. (laughs) Get your seatbelt settled and you're like, well, we're beginning our descent. You're like, fuck, we're the peanuts. Yeah, dude, I get nothing. (laughs) You gave me nothing. No tiny ginger ale. Right, exactly. What's going on? Didn't Uh, even offer me a cocktail. Has being on the spectrum affected other parts of your life? So I have had issues, and I'm just going to call them issues. Okay. With with sexuality for a while, um, that was one of the things that actually slowly burned the relationship with my past girl out because I had completely closed up sexually for a while, mm-hmm. and so I think part of being on the spectrum in regards to sexuality is that it's even more fluid than you could you could imagine. There is days where. I don't want literally anything to do with human bodies. I don't even want to look at mine. Like I'm not interested in that. It seems gross and wet and stuff I don't want. I'm a very texture and feel based person. So sexual activity is very interesting in that way. (laughs) Sure. So that was one of the things that, that ultimately burned out that last relationship I had because I was in one of my, I'm going to call it a phase, literally not being interested in sexual activity whatsoever. You know, I don't go solo. I don't do anything. Right. I'm just not interested in it. And then there will be other times when it's the only fucking thing I think about. I wonder. I I feel like it's extremes. Huh. I wonder how much, how that, I wonder how normal that actually is because people, Americans in particular, are so afraid to talk about, I mean, they're afraid to talk about a lot of this stuff that we've talked about so far. Um, afraid to talk about anything, my dude. Yeah, and this is kind of why I love talking about sexuality because I, I like making people uncomfortable in this way. Oh, uh, me too, bro. Yeah, and it's like there are days when I'm not interested, and there are days when I'm super interested, and I, I just think a lot of people are. Some days I want to watch TV, man. Some days I don't want to touch this person anything. or do this thing. <laughs> right? You know? Yeah. I really feel that. And my shit will go in big waves. Like sometimes I have to like let my girl know, hey, you're not getting railed for like three weeks. <laughs> I and mean, she's, are you putting a timestamp on that at the beginning of it? Oh, God, no, no, no. Okay. I never put the timestamp on that. It might change like, tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. And that's another thing I wanted to touch on, too, is that there is literally no way to predict it. There's no way to be like, you know what? On the 14th at five, I'm really going to want a bone. Right. I don't know that. Right. And just like you said, it could be an hour after I said that I don't want to, that I want to. Right. But I think the hardest thing for me personally with with autism and sexuality is just that it's it's not, how do I say this? It's not consistent. Okay. I can't expect anything. You know, like, uh, so I'm bisexual. I'm attracted to anything and everything that has a pulse, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, I mean... Anything human that has a pulse, let's let's. Yeah, yeah. I guess I should have specified a little more. Right. <laughs> yes, anything of the the of the human variety. I don't have much hangups or anything like that. But it's so fluid. Sometimes I'm not going to want anything to do with girls for weeks, and it's just like it's dudes for weeks. Right. You know, it's not even that it's hard. It's just that it's confusing for me to not want the same things consistently when I was told when I was young. Before I was diagnosed, before I knew that guys could be together, you know, before I knew any of that, I was told 
you're a dude, find a girl, get married, pump out as many motherfucking babies as you can, <laughs> go to work, retire, and die. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. No. Yeah. I don't want any of those things. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that kills me about that very like heteronormative patriarchal structure is the whole pumping out babies thing and nowhere does anyone say to anybody children are fucking expensive like insanely expensive yeah. you know you're gonna spend a million dollars in the first 18 years on that child right and no disrespect to my friends and my family members who have children and they love their children and all that good stuff but you are putting your life into a secondary phase to prioritize the lives of these young people that you have, hopefully, and just donating so much mental and physical and emotional labor and then money on top of it. I just feel like in my head, I think about it, I'm like, man, having kids must be exhausting. Yeah. Like my girl and I have already agreed we're not doing kids. And realistically, when it comes down to it, it's not because I don't care for kids. Kids are hilarious. They're just oh, drunk adults. Other people's kids like, are great. Yeah, that's where I'm at. You know, I got, I got a couple of buddies with kids, and it's really great every once in a while to get videos of the kids or whatever. And it's like, oh, yeah, you guys are adorable, but I don't have to deal with the poop coming out of yep. you. So we agreed that we're not going to do that. And my whole hang up on that is that I, I don't think people understand this. You are quite literally in control of the development of another human being. That will have a whole entire life yep. that will affect other people based on the way you teach them. Yeah. So we've got people teaching their kids to do a bunch of shit ass stuff. And we wonder why the kids aren't respectful because they weren't taught to be. They were taught to be selfish and immature. Yep. It's terrible. Yep. And so I'm not going to be a part of that, essentially. I <laughs> have so much respect for that, Shoof. I could not even tell you. And it's funny, just a lot of the stuff you and I are talking about, it kind of goes back to conditioned behavior and how mm -hmm. you're sort of breaking from this conditioning in terms of your diagnosis, in terms of your decision not to have children, in terms of your sexuality, in terms of all of that stuff. And I, I think that if you really dug into people's heads and found out what it is that they really want out of life, it wouldn't be this conditioned get married blast out some kids, retire, die thing. It would be so much more nuanced and, and different yeah. than that. And I love, like, you seem like a dude that doesn't have a lot of fear. No, I, I ain't scared of shit for the most part. <laughs> except, for, except for, like, random medical procedures. Well, uh, hopefully you <laughs> stay away from those random medical procedures. I, I have done that. I've been very, very blessed to be healthy. So I got to ask, how did you become a sneakerhead? Oh, I love this one, too. You're hitting all the great stories I have, Good. too. I, I, tell the, I tell these shits quite a bit. All Good. right, so I mentioned earlier that I was blowing glass for a while. I was making pipes. Mm -hmm. And so at that time, I was also purchasing quite a bit of glass art. And I had amassed quite a collection and quite a few pieces from a glass blower that goes by Luda. Okay. And so due to the continued purchase of his work, he invited us to a gallery showing he was having. And now maybe that is because we're friends. Like I still talk to homeboy and he still shows me all this new stuff and this and that. But I'm not going to lie to you. I truly felt at that point, it's because I had given him so much damn money. <laughs> it <laughs> could like be thousands. both. Yeah, it's like thousands and thousands on, on glass that I never should have spent. Luckily, I got all that money back out. Anyway, he, he invites us to the show and it's in Chicago and we go. 
and super awesome. And at that point, I wasn't really into shoes. I wasn't into fashion. I was a dirty punk kid. <laughs> I wore torn up jeans. I was wearing a super beat pair of uh, white Adidas superstars. I had like a Walmart zip up hoodie on. Nice. It, my hair was disheveled, but I was not taken care of. And realistically, it was one of those things was of like looking at the girl and being like, that's your dude. <laughs> and I'm over there like, yeah, motherfucker, what? Ah, shit. <laughs> anyway, so I'm putzing around the store. Uh, I'm putzing around the, the gallery showing. It's at a head shop called called Maid Gallery in, in Chicago. And so I picked out the couple pieces that I wanted to get from the show, put my little name tag on them. And uh, I'm sitting in the corner, standing there with Luda. And he goes, hey, man, what's the difference between you and everybody else here? I'm looking around. It's just a bunch of stoners, man. I was like, I don't know. And he goes, look down. So I look down. I'm looking at my beat ass pair of white superstars. He says, now look at everybody else's sneakers. And I'm looking around everyone else's sneakers. They got clean, new, you know, Nikes, Jordans, blah, 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 expensive shoes. Right. That you could tell that they not only took the time to pick out, but also saved for today. <laughs> and that was an insanely foreign concept to me i was like bro i grew up getting one pair of shoes and you wear it until it disintegrates yep. and there's water and snow and you know general conditions coming through your feet area they gotta be at and least one toe poking out correct sir <laughs> they, even better if the back sole can flap like <laughs> flaps yes yeah so it looks like you're wearing slippers Yes, yes, you're <laughs> flip-flopping in your sneakers. That's the real shit. If none of y'all have ever been to that point in your lives, start wearing out a pair of sneakers. It's very fun. <laughs> um, so Luda goes, man, you got to get some better sneakers. And I, I was feeling called out. I was feeling I backed into a corner. I was literally in a corner, but I was feeling backed into a corner like, oh, I guess I have to spend $300 on a pair of shoes. And I got very lucky at that point that they, the that Maid Gallery, the shop that that show was at, was also a shoe store. He points to the left and there's a whole fucking wall of Nikes. That's convenient. Like, all right. Yeah, he goes, all right, buy those ones and those ones. I'm like, all right, you got to slow down, first of all. You're not going to tell me what sneakers to buy. He was essentially insinuating and, and demanding that I get a better pair of sneakers if I'm going to be seen with him for the rest of the weekend. Okay, you've got your standards. That's cool. That's fine. You're allowed to have your standards. So I go and I buy myself a pair of LeBrons, $230 LeBrons. And I'm, I'm just sitting there like, I cannot believe I just did that. That's half of my rent. Right. I can feed myself for the entire month on this amount of money. And I put them on and I understood. <laughs> I put those shoes on and I took three steps in them. I was like, oh, these are dope. These look so cool. I'm a cool kid now. Uh, and, like gave you, and, the shoes gave you power. You were like a little Bow Wow and like Mike. Yes. Oh, my God. It was just like that. <laughs> little Bow Wow. That's a throwback. <laughs> so so I, I got that pair of LeBron. I think it was the Friday the 13th ones, though. I thought they were cool because they had blood splatter on them. Nice. I was trying to find that punk slash metalhead crossover sneaker and first of all, that's not a fucking thing. Like, <laughs> it is now, but it wasn't then because this was almost 10 years ago now. Right. And after that first pair, it was just like, 
Shoes, 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 shoes. Buy that one, buy that one, get those, get that. It replaced the glass. Huh. I wasn't buying the glass anymore. I was buying the You're sneakers. Just buying sneakers. Yeah, and I started out places like Plato's Closet, uh, Rescue Mission, Salvation Army, getting all the, you know, quote, secondhand sneakers that were still in wearable condition because I don't give a shit if my shoes are box new. Right. I give a shit that they're my shoes. Right. And that they look cool because that's all they're for. When you're buying a shoe like that, it's 100% a fashion choice. You're not buying a shoe for utility anymore. You know, I would say 90% of the people that buy Jordans don't play basketball. <laughs> that's true. Ever. And they're certainly not playing basketball in the Jordans. They're playing them in the Reeboks or the Caseways because they don't want to break that shit down. I get it. But yeah, that's how I got into sneakers, man. I essentially got forced just like food. But then I realized, <laughs> wait, this, this is, is something awesome. I like. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be that way because I get so scared to start something new. Oh, what if I spend money and I don't like it? I was always conditioned as a kid to be as frugal as possible because my mom was a single mom working three jobs to put me through, you know, school and food and 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 all of the dumb shit that I wanted, like a Schwinn Stingray and an Xbox. You know, <laughs> she still found a way to buy me that shit, even with three minimum wage jobs. So I was always very respectful of money and how much money can really do for you. I, I don't believe that money is anything but a tool. It's quite literally not backed by anything, at least U.S. currency. You can't trade it in for silver anymore. You can't trade it in for gold anymore. You can't trade it in for literally shit. So turn it into things that you can trade for stuff. So, you know, that's what pretty much what I've been doing the last couple of years, but that's so off topic. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to me thinking of someone like, being into fashion like that but like fashion is usually thought of as a woman's thing right or at least yeah. the way that i came up the dudes who were into fashion were either rich dudes or gay dudes correct um, or they were rich gay dudes I guess. right yes exactly exactly or column a plus both. column b all right correct yes but i'm like there's nothing wrong with wanting to look put together and having like your own yeah. personal style aesthetic and i respect the fact that although I grew up poor and the idea of spending more than like $120 on a pair of shoes still blows my mind and I've never done it. I'm still there, yeah. yeah. I respect the fact that it's cool now for guys to have a personal aesthetic, you know, with regards to fashion. And it's like, okay, you're a skater, so you want to dress this way and your shoes got to look like this and you want to look clean and put together and your socks match this and that whole thing. It's kind of cool that it's accepted a lot more now than it used to be when you were a kid and certainly when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. We were getting hawked about that. Yeah. If I were to walk to school in some of the outfits that I wear today, oh, I've been clowned all day. Yeah. Like, I've been legit beat up. I'm not trying to blow this out of proportion, but legitimately, I would have been accosted in some way, shape, or form for wearing a skirt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wear a kilt from time, not often, but on rare occasions from time to time. It's really comfortable, but yes. I grew up in the hood. And if I was walking around wearing a kilt, I would have gotten, my, I mean, I was already getting my ass kicked, but I would have gotten my ass kicked like five times as much. Oh yeah. You really would have been, you would have been got, dude. Yeah. You know, or to wear fingernail polish now. People can't let that shit go. Just yeah. leave the dude's nails alone. Yeah. Yeah. What does it have to do with you? Are you sucking on his fingers or something? Right. No, you're not. So shut the hell up and let the dude wear some nail polish. Yeah. It looks great. It's it's all projection, man. I think people just oh, are so- so insecure about themselves mm -hmm. that if they see somebody being brave in a way that they don't feel like they can do themselves, they're going to take it out on that person or those people. Dude, these days, being true to yourself is the most polarizing thing you can do. Yeah. 
but it's you're also the piss so many people off. <laughs> yeah, it's also the biggest flex. Like, yes, sir. Know, I have so much respect, and I try to keep my circle full of people who are very unapologetically themselves. Like, it's important. Yeah, because you want to know the people around you. It's good to know that your people know who you are, and it's good for you to know who your people are. I think that it is slightly disrespectful for somebody not to be honest with the people in their life. So people like us who are unapologetically us and we are the way we are and we're essentially vocal about it and we want to make sure that people understand who we are. And I I personally do that because I don't want any miscommunication about who I am. I don't want you thinking that I'm somebody that you might get something out of for this or for that. I want you to be very sure and very clear about who I am, where I am, and what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. So much respect for that. More people should follow your... I don't like to toot my own horn, but... Toot it! Like we started talking about earlier, it's just, if you take the time, if you really, really take the time, and I'm not saying put aside five minutes to bullshit meditate, I'm saying really sit down and open up that vault that you've put all the things in your head that you don't want to deal with. You open it up and you start facing them head on one by one. And it, you face them until they're done. You, you don't start one thing and face half of it and then put it back in the vault. Do the whole thing. Face the whole problem. Yep. Address it. Discuss it. Rectify it. And move on to number two. It's slow. It's grueling. It's it a process. Sucks. Oh, it sucks. It's horrible. Okay. But you end up on the other side feeling so clean. That's the greatest feeling I've gotten out of this whole thing is just feeling cleaner. Like I don't have 20 years of sludge built up on my body. You know, take that mental shower, get clean. I appreciate the fact that Shuv speaks so openly about being an authentic person. That is something that is super, super important to me and has grown even more important to me with time. Um, you know, we only get one shot here, right? So it's important to be your best self as often as possible and your most truthful self. So thanks again to Shane or Shuf for being on the show. Uh, you can find him and his design work on social media at either Shuf underscore Cohen, that is S-H-O-E-F underscore C-O-H-E-N, or at by Shuf, B-Y-S-H-O-E-F. Thanks for listening to the Detoxicity Podcast. My name is Mike Joseph. Once again, if you want to find me online, hit me up on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy. I'm on Twitter intermittently at TizMikeJoseph. You can go to Facebook.com slash Detoxicity. You can email me, DetoxPod at gmail.com. Love to hear constructive criticism. Love to hear feedback. Would love if you are a potential guest or you know somebody who you think would be a potential guest, please, by all means, reach out to me. And remember, if you enjoy this podcast, subscribe, rate, comment, do all of the things necessary to push this podcast up in the podcast rankings and get this into as many ears as possible. Tell a friend, do whatever it is you need to do. And uh, thank you once again for listening. I personally want to thank the following people for their support. Calvin Williams, Jacob Block, Jeff Giles, and Postman. Thank you very much. I hope all of you stay well, stay safe, and healthy. Until next time.